when my older sister arranged a, a family reunion with uh, my younger sister and father and nephews and nieces on the north shore of Oahu. So it's been a few years since we've all been together. So it was a nice experience. And sometimes I've heard that it's difficult. I've heard some say it's difficult to practice spiritual life in places like Hawaii because it's too nice. And uh, at the same time, when I was there, last time I was there, I was 18. And uh, this time around, I'm 48 now. And I saw that it's actually, wherever you go in this world, uh, it's a very favorable place to practice spiritual life. In the Bhagavad Gita, Krishna says, whether you go up to the higher planetary systems, which makes Hawaii look like a Lego set, the upper planetary systems are so sensual and opulent that nothing in this middle realm, Martya Loka, can compare to. Whether you go up to the higher realm or down to the lower realms, all our places are of dukkha, all the places of misery where there's repeated birth and death. So in the upper planetary systems, it's very sensual, but you still die. There's still an end. And so it was just interesting, and I thought to just share some Bhagavad Gita reflections of just what I observed during the time there, and uh, we'll go from there. And before we start, we'll recite what we call Mangala Charan. So on the path of yoga, in Bhagavad Gita, Krishna encourages that the yogis, the mystics, in the fifth chapter, he says, those who are uh, interested in liberation, in mukti, brahmanirvana, liberation, brahmanirvana means liberation in spirit. Those who are interested in brahmanirvana, uh, their aim is inward, they rejoice inwardly, their happiness is inward. And so that principle of inner life is very crucial. And so Mangala Charan, their prayers, their mantras of gratitude, that kind of set the scene for our meditation practice. So early in the morning, in the Bhakti path, in various traditions, uh, there's this element of offering gratitude, offering some prayers, some meditation, taking time to internalize uh, before one goes into their practice. So these Mangala Charan prayers are a very auspicious way uh, to begin our practice or any type of uh, yeah, spiritual discipline. And then the last one, we can all say together, it's the Hare Krishna Mantra. So I'll recite a few preliminary ones to my teachers, and then I'll go from there. Omadhyanati mirandasya gyananjana shalakaya Chakshurum nilitanjena tasmai shri gurave namaha Shri-chetanyamano-bhishtham shtapitam jena-bhutale Svayam-rupa-padamayam dadati-svapadantikam Vandeham Shri Guru Shijita-padakamalam Shri Guru Vaishnavamsa Shri Rukam Sagrajatam Sahagana-ragunatam-vitam-tam sajivam Sadvaitam Sagadutam Harijana Sahitam Krishna Chaitanya Devam Shri Radha Krishna Padam Sahagana Lalita Shri Vishakam Vitamscha Nama Om Vishnu Padaya Krishna Krishnaya Bhutale Shri Mate Bhakti Vedanta Swami Nukhinamine 
Namaste Saraswati Deve, Gauravani Prachadine, Nirvisesha Shunyavadi, Paschatya Deshatarine. Hey Krishna Karuna Sindo, Dinavando Jagatpate, Gopesha Gopika Kanta, Radha Kanta Namaskrite, Shakta Kanshana Gaurangi, Radhe Vrindavaneshwari, Vrishabhanu Sute Devi, Pranamami Hari Priye, Vanchakalpa Tarubhyascha, Kripasandha Devacha, Patitanam Thavinibhyo, Vaishnavibhyo Namo Namaha, Jaya Shri Krishna Chaitanya, Prabhu Nityananda, Shri Advaita Gadarhar, Shri Vasadi Gauravakta Vrinda, Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare, Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare, Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna Hare 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 Rama Hare Rama 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 Hare Hare And uh, one final mantra, please repeat Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya So I'll say once and then you can say Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Krishna's going to eat dinner now, so we close the curtains while Radha and Govinda, Bonitai and Jagannath, Maladesha, Bhagavad Devi, while Krishna eats, the off- he receives the offering, and then in about an hour and, hour and 15 minutes, we'll accept the, the grace, what we call prasad, the remnants, the mercy that Krishna uh, makes available for us to eat. So it's not just the rice and the sabji and the halabha and the puris, those feed the body, right? They nourish the body. Most important is the spiritual potency coming from the food, food for the soul. So this is prasadam. So the Sunday love feast not only fills the belly, but Krishna prasadam, food that's been offered with love and devotion, and then we receive that grace. So as I was saying earlier in the fifth chapter of the Bhagavad Gita, Krishna says, one whose aim is inward, 
who rejoices inwardly and whose happiness is inward, is the true mystic. And such a person attains liberation, Brahma-nirvana, in the very near future. So especially somewhere like Hawaii, or anywhere, where anywhere you go into the world, if you observe, living entities are pleasure-seeking. They're looking for a thrill, something outside of themselves. Whether it's here in Colorado, maybe someone's waiting for a good snowstorm, so there's some good powder to ski on. Or in Hawaii, when I was walking along the North Shore, we were like in this kind of a cove. It was not so crowded. I walked, I drove down just a couple miles, and there's Waimea Bay, Pipeline, Sunset Beach. And these are all places I remembered from my early years when I used to surf. Maxwell grew up as well in the ocean. And, uh, and then you see these guys and ladies walking up to the beach, and they're scoping out the different breaks, and they're looking for that perfect opportunity to experience some thrill on some water, right, some kind of motion. And so their aim is, in one sense, outward, generally speaking. If your aim isn't inward and your aim is only outward, then you're going to look for an experience outside of yourself, whether it's with a wave or snow, whether it's with some type of pill or a drug, whether it's with a person, some kind of romance, or a car, whatever it is, some attention outside of ourself, and if we can exploit the situation, whether it's an object or a person, so that we can feel some fulfillment, then such a person, their aim isn't inward. And the so-called happiness, when they experience it, they're like, wow, the skiing was just so incredible, or the surfing was just awesome, and the waves were killer, or, you know, that particular drug, or that, acquiring that particular possession. I'm just experiencing so much joy getting that gift. And, uh, but that type of happiness, it's short-lived. It's very much nectar in the beginning, as Krishna says later in the Bhagavad Gita, 17th or 18th chapter. It's very sweet and nectar in the beginning, but it's poison at the end because it gets taken away. So in the fifth chapter, the true mystic, their aim is inward, they're rejoicing inward, and their happiness is inward. Because they understand that if they can just be anywhere and be inwardly satisfied, then they're free. They're liberated. They're not being pulled around by chains of desires. So the conditioning in this material world, especially in these bodies that we have, subtly with the mind and emotions, with the gross bodies, is that by nature, we're spirit, we're atma, we're soul, we're free, we're nitya siddha, we're eternally liberated souls. But we identify so much with the externals that we think, I will only feel, I will only feel fulfilled if I can get that thing, right? If when the waves are perfect, or the sun is perfect, or when I get to Hawaii and can sit under the sun, then I'll be happy. But if we're dependent on that type of paradigm, then even though there might be a moment of happiness, all of us know that it gets taken away. And ultimately, one isn't satisfied, because like Big Jagger said, you just can't find no satisfaction. Chasing the carrot, right? We're chasing the carrot. And so it's not that the pursuit of happiness is necessarily wrong. Krishna's saying that, yeah, rejoice, pursue happiness. But he says it very clearly, he defines it. That person whose aim is inward, rejoices inwardly, and whose happiness is inward, is the true mystic. And such a person uh, will experience liberation in the very near future. So that happiness which is in goodness, in passion, it's very quick. In the beginning, it's a quick thrill. It's a quick shot. It's a quick hit. Right? It's, a quick, it's a quick shot. It's a, it's a very intense thrill initially, and then it goes away. 
next one. You don't stay high forever. So in the mode of goodness, it's a little difficult in the beginning. It's, you're, you're restraining your senses, you're practicing some self-mastery of the mind and the senses. Yoga, indriyami samyami. Srila Prabhupada would define yoga in this way, that yoga means mastering or conquering of the mind and the senses. So when we think of yoga, today someone might say, oh, I go to my yoga class to do some stretches and maybe to learn some pranayama. Basically, that's kind of what the yoga scene is today. You learn some asana, and then you learn some pranayama. And so, in the true yoga system, yoga indriyami samyami, that phrase is when one has control of the mind and the senses. So that's a little bitter in the beginning, right? You go to some, you go to a place, you know, even Colorado, wherever you go in this world, there's places, pockets that are very sensually inspiring. You know, the mountains of Colorado, the islands of Hawaii, or if you go to Las Vegas, wherever there's like a lot of external passion and thrill or in nature. There might be a quick kind of pleasure, but for the yogi, for the person in goodness, they discipline themselves before they act or before they indulge or before they just go ahead and act on a situation just because of the impulse of the senses. They take a little time to contemplate. And during that moment of contemplation, it can be some suffering. It can seem a little painful because you're going through this battle. The mind is saying, yeah, do it. Chase it. Take it now. Go for it. And then the other, the higher self, is saying, wait, if you do that, there'll be a consequence. And what does a consequence look like? So the person in the mode of goodness, they consider the consequences before they act. And so it may seem a little difficult. It might seem like poison in the beginning. That happiness which is in goodness, it may seem like poison in the beginning because you're not going for that quick fixed thrill, right? There's a little bit of control, some contemplation, and some control of the self, which might seem like poison. Oh, this is so difficult. I don't want to restrain. But then at the end, there's this incredible feeling of happiness and satisfaction, Krishna says. He, he gives the recipe. Happiness in the mode of goodness, it's poison in the beginning, but nectar at the end. Right? And so when people say like, well, how come I'm not feeling, you know, I've been getting into spiritual life, I've given up certain activities, and where's the happiness? I told that there's going to, you know, it's, where is it, you know? How come it's not just like a shot of whiskey or a quick experience of sex or riding like a super killer wave or going down a super good mountain of powdery snow or, you know, acquiring the perfect car and a dream house? Like, where is that, where's that experience of fulfillment? I, I got into yoga and they say that if you start chanting and practicing meditation that there'll be happiness there'll be satisfaction, peace of mind, and I'm not experiencing that. In fact, I'm experiencing the other way around. Turbulence, frustration, anxieties, some monsters are coming out, I'm starting to see like my shadow side. What's, what's going on? It seems like almost like poison. And some people even give up the path after some time because they started it. There's a quick initial nectar feeling, like wow, the chanting, the dancing, the going to yoga class, feeling some initial liberation. And after some months or some years, then the work starts to happen. And it's like, oh, this is too much work. It is, this is too poisonous. I think I'll just give it up and go for the quick thrill. Just go back to just indulging and having fun because that's a lot easier and kind of almost cut the out. 
So Krishna inspires us all. He says, yes, if you want happiness in the mode of passion, yeah, it'll be like nectar in the beginning, go for it. But just to warn you, he says, and be ready that there'll be some poison at the end. And we don't like to hear that part. We just like to hear, nectar in the beginning, all right, I'm going to just go for it. And we don't consider that, oh wait, there's poison at the end, what comes from that type of life of indulgence. And then he says, yeah, happiness in the mode of goodness. In the beginning, there's some discipline, some control of the senses. It feels like poison. But then Krishna says, you will feel the nectar, and it may take some time. It takes some patience, right? Some patience and tolerance. When I was there, um, actually, the last two times I visited the coast, one was my sister. She lives up in San Rafael near Stinson Beach. Right when I got to the ocean, the first thing I saw in, in Stinson was a, a dead seagull. The first thing on the beach was a dead seagull. And here in Hawaii, was, it was a cove, and the first thing was this big puffy fish with spikes. And it was just washed up onto the shore. And I went up to it, and it was still alive. And I started chanting with it. And then I was just remembering this analogy, the fish out of water. Prabhupada gives this analogy that a living entity, we're not connected in their constitutional position as a spirit soul, as an atma, connected to the supreme atma in devotion, is like that fish out of water. And this fish wasn't flapping around, it was a huge, one of those puffer fishes with spikes. And so I got a few, a uh, couple sticks from the beach and just sort of, like chopsticks, just sort of picked up the fish and just went back into the water, set it in, and it just sort of like, you know, rolled back into the current and swam back in its element. And it was just such a nice uh, remembrance that in this world, when we're not in our element of, you can say, seva, or as dasya, as servant, when we're not in that natural element, then we're like that fish out of water. And there was one great scholar, his name was Sanatana Goswami, back in the 15th century. Very wealthy person, he was a prime minister, had so much going for him, materially. And when he met Lord Chaitanya, I won't go into detail and just analyze, uh, describe all his personalities, but in, in, in essence, Sanatana Goswami, he was a very successful person on, on the material level, but wasn't satisfied. And when he met Lord Chaitanya, although he was accomplished in many, many languages, very wealthy, he was a prime minister, government leader, uh, had so much uh, accomplishments on the material level. And he went up to Lord Chaitanya, and the first thing he said, he said, Kayami, he said, who am I? I don't know who I am, and people call me learned, they call me a scholar, a person who is like very well established materially, but I don't even know who I am. Even though I have all these things going for me, I don't even know who I am. So just like someone may be, you know, in this world, a great athlete, in the North Shore of Hawaii. It was interesting because just last couple years ago there was a famous surfer named Brock Little. I remember him when I was 18 or 19, just a few years younger than me. And he became really famous as big wave rider. Remember Brock Little? Yeah, and uh, expert big wave rider, charging 30, 40 foot waves, world famous surfer. And just uh, within a year he, he uh, contracted uh, liver cancer. And within the next year, just became very emaciated and died. Right? So a big, big position. So we may attain such a big position in athletics, or in education, or in politics, but like Sanatana Goswami, even though he had, he had all those things, he wasn't satisfied. He went to Lord Chaitanya, he says, I don't even know who I am. I've been treading, I've been tre treading the world, accomplishing so many 
becoming so accomplished in so many different areas of life that I don't, I don't even know who, who I am. So when we're, that, when we're like that fish out of water, we're in a situation where we're identifying, we're thinking, I'm male or I'm female, I'm a Republican or a Democrat, I'm putting so much emphasis on my economic status, on my athletic, academic, social accomplishments, whatever it might be, my physical strength, my beauty, my education, even my renunciation. One might think, wow, look at I'm so detached from this world. I'm identifying myself as a liberated, detached person, right? We might identify ourselves with some kind of opulences that we've been gifted with. You may think that's who we are. And to the degree that we're just identifying with these external positions, whether it's our ethnicity, our gender, our political affiliation, even our religious affiliation, you know, I'm happy one day, distressed the next day, rich, poor, Democrat, Republican, Socialist, no party, tall, short, old, young, black, white, yellow, brown, whatever it might be. If I'm just identifying with those external considerations and basing my identity and fulfilling on that, then we're like that fish out of water, out of our natural element. And we're kind of struggling, struggling, struggling. And if there is someone that we can connect with, just like, I was just like, hey, here I am, I'm able to like, this fish is a little helpless. So just watching it, it felt, looks like it was in a struggling situation. So just let me get, I didn't want to grab it because I wasn't sure if these fish were poisonous or something. But anyways, I had these cool big eyes. And, yeah, I just grabbed these two sticks like chopsticks, put it back in this element. So similarly, when the living entity has that kind of gracious, sacred moment of connecting with someone, or maybe a sacred text, or an experience, or perhaps paramatma, super soul in the heart, to redirect us into that water, into that current, of devotional service, into that current of yoga, into that current of sanatana dharma, our eternal journey, our eternal path. And it's not like it's foreign, right? The water isn't foreign to the fish. The water is actually its natural element. And what's foreign and unnatural and kind of superficial is when it's not in its element. So when we're invited back, when we've been on the land out of the water for so long, we start to think in this kind of superficial, dualistic way. I'm five foot five, male, half, you know, I'm Asian or American or whatever it is. We've identified so much with the external consideration because of just what society and just what this material world imposes upon us. But when we meet someone, a teacher or a sacred text or super soul in the heart, or perhaps we hit rock bottom, right? Sometimes it's in that, when we're in that kind of dire straight situation that there's some awakening, awakened consciousness. When there's some, when the suffering gets to the point of like, wow, who do I turn to? Then there's, we start to go inward. Then we're kind of guided back into that water. And that's our natural element as an atma. And in that natural element, we begin to experience, oh, I'm eternal, sat, chit, I'm full of knowledge, ananda, I'm full of bliss. I have the same quality as a supreme source of eternality, bliss, and knowledge. And so just being, being that fish back in its element. And another thing is, here we are going to the coast and the ocean and experiencing some, like, oh, this is such a nice retreat. And then right away, the first thing that I saw, at least in these last two times, was death. Seeing a dead seagull and seeing this fish suffering. So even in so-called in a place like 
you know, people go, oh, it's like paradise, and it's so beautiful. There's death there. And then just that afternoon, there was a wasp just went down, and the big spider there, and the stung the spider, and the spider curled up. And so there's suffering, even in Hawaii, <laughs> right? Even in Hawaii. And then when I was uh, younger, in my teen years, my friend, she went to Hawaii with a few friends, and they hiked the um, Nepali coast in Kauai. And uh, very risky. Uh, Nagar's, Nagar Kirtan, his mother goes there every year, and she hikes it. She had a very challenging hike this year. But anyways, my friend's uh, friend slipped and just uh, lost her life to the young, early 20s. So they're suffering, whether it's in Hawaii, whether it's in LA, or New York, whether you go to the heavenly planets or down in the lower, there's repeated birth and death going on. And before closing, um, another experience I had is my brother-in-law, um, he, uh, he, he was showing the kids, I think it was called the last, what's the last Star Wars series, The Last Jedi? Is that it? Has anyone seen them? Anyways, he was showing them the last one before, anyways, it's, a, it's the last one that's been produced. And there was this, um, there's this young lady, Ray. She's like the warrior girl. And then everyone knows Luke. I remember Luke from back in the day. And it's very interesting because in some of these kind of movies about good and evil, kind of these warrior movies now, there's this element of meditation, and there's this one scene where Luke is sitting on the rock. Has anyone seen it? Has anyone seen it? Okay. Where, so Luke is sitting on this rock, and he's like, he's like in Padmasana, right? And his hands are in Gyan Mudra. And here's this like movie that's out in the it's out in the theaters, and like kids are going to see it. And you see Luke, and he's like levitating, and he's in this meditation, and then he's manifesting this illusory form that's fighting against the, I can't remember, the dark side, the, who's ever on the, what's that? It was, it was like the, I can't remember the guy's name, but anyways, but it, it wasn't his real self, but he was in meditation, he was like in deep contemplation, and then manifesting this illusory form, right? And then my kids, they've watched this whole, like, Last Airbender, the Avatar series, and then there you see also, like, before Aang or Korra go into some, like, action, there's this moment of contemplation. So anyhow, he was, showing, he was watching that with my uh, nephews and nieces. And I, when I saw that scene, I saw just see how even in modern-day Nickelodeon or Hollywood, they're starting to appreciate even what the ancients have been doing for thousands and thousands and thousands of years. And people are like, whoa, look at Lucas, Lucas meditating. And like, it's such a fascinating scene for people. And of course, there's the Yoda. So anyhow, these types of movies, in fact, was George, um, George Lucas met with Joseph Campbell, who was expert in the uh, history of Mahabharata and Ramayana. So he gathered a lot of information and knowledge from Joseph Campbell and incorporated kind of the genre and the themes and the principles from Mahabharata and Ramayana into the Star Wars scene. So you have the guru, you have the warrior, you have the dark side like Ravana or Dushashana, Right? You have like the animal warriors, like those little bears or Chewbacca. Right? So they're inspired by these ancients. So the beauty in the bhakti culture is that it's not limited to just going to the movies and saying, wow, that would be so far out. It, it actually does happen. If you study the Mahabharata and the Srimad Bhagavatam, these ancients understood what airbending meant, what firebending meant. They knew how to amalgamate into the elements. These yogis were not just Hollywood stars. They're very disciplined in the practice of contemplation 
eternal life, and then understood the principle of amalgamating with the elements of nature. And even greater than that, they understood the science of bhakti, the science, what are the techniques of living a lifestyle where you're connecting with the source of the force, right? There's the force, which is fascinating. But in the Ishopanishad, the prayer is, that there's this beautiful, powerful force, and the prayer is, please remove that and let me see that shining effulgence of that beautiful face of the source of the impersonal effulgence, which in Star Wars they refer to that as a force. Or in the movie Avatar, there's that whole principle of that element of spirit lying within all things. So what I gathered from that is my years of practicing bhakti yoga, studying Srila Prabhupada's books, an element of gratitude that, wow, instead of just kind of being dreamy or fascinated by watching maybe like a, a Hollywood movie, right, we, have, we have access to a rich uh, culture of sacred scriptures where uh, these principles and techniques are being taught where we can go inward, like Krishna says in Bhagavad Gita, where we can rejoice inwardly and see that happiness is inwardly and enter into that spirit of contemplation and an experience of happiness that's beyond just exploitation but that's based on seva or service ananda, seva ananda our happiness based on service to the supreme so just in the next five minutes I wanted to share how the original living entity how he meditated so in Star Wars you have Luke I think in Avatar it was Aang or, or in the Legend of Korra my kids are watching this series she's not very spiritual she's very much into just wanting to acquire powers but then her teacher, her sensei says you need to learn how to meditate and go internal and so she's struggling with that and so it's fascinating it's fascinating kind of watching that and what to say about self starting to do it so originally there was a person named Lord Brahma in the dawn of creation Lord Brahma is described in the Bhakti Shastras, in the Bhakti scriptures, as the first living entity. And from the navel of Vishnu came a beautiful lotus flower. And then there was Lord Brahma sitting in meditation and kind of confused, didn't, understand, didn't know where he came from. It was dark all around, up and down, left and right. So he started climbing down the stem and he became a little confused. Then he heard this uh, message, Chantatapa. And he went into meditation, and eventually, you'll see Krishna playing a flute. From the, sound, from the sound of Krishna's flute came a sacred goddess named Gayatri. And that Gayatri was heard by Lord Brahma, entered his heart, and then from there came the Gayatri Mantra, and a sequence of prayers called the Brahma Samhita. I won't go into the whole history of it, but basically he went into his meditation, and then heard the Gayatri, practice meditation, contemplation, many a darshan of Govinda, of Krishna, and began to recite these beautiful prayers called Brahma Samhita. So I thought, just so we can all experience what the original living entity in this cosmic manifestation experience as far as meditation and enlightenment, I was going to recite a few of them, and the refrain is very sweet. You can repeat and you can say it together. The first word is Govindam. Govindam. Adi Purusham Tamaham Bajami. So I worship or I honor 
Govinda, the original personality. Govinda Parikorsham, Tamahang Rajani, the original supreme enjoyer. So Govinda, Adi Purusham, Tamaham Bhajami. So at the end, we can all say that refrain together. And if you like, you can sit like Lord Brahma, who was sitting in Padmasana, either with your hands in Gyan Mudra or Anjali Mudra. And uh, we can tap in to an original experience. And this is not just limited to a Hollywood or Nickelodeon Netflix. This is something that's based on reality, according to the Bhakti Shastras. So we'll just go for about two or three minutes. Ishwara Parama Krishna Sachirananda Vigraha Anadiradir Govinda Sarva Karana Karanam Chintamani Prakarasarma Shukalpa Vriksha Laksha Vriteshu Surabira Vipalayantam Lakshmi Sahasra Shatasambrama Sevyamanam Govinda Madi Purusham Tamaham Vajami Veno Pananta Maravinda Dalaya Taksham Barhavatam Samasitam Buddha Sundarangham Kandar Pakoti Kamaniya Vishesha Shobham Govinda Madi Purusham Tamaham Vajami Alola Chandra Kalasarva Namalya Vangshi Ratnam Gadam Pranayakeli Kalavilasham Shamam Tribangalalitam Niyata Prakasham Govindamadi Purusham Tamaham Vajami Angani Yasha Sakalendriya Vritti Manti Pashanti Panti Kalayanti Chiram Jaganti Ananda Chinmaya Sadujwala Vingrahasya Govindamadi Purusham Tamaham Vajami Advaita Mashutamanade Manantarupam Adhyam Purana Purusham Navayavanamcha Vedeshudhullabam Adhullabam Atma Bhakta Govindamadi Purusham Tamaham Vajami Ekopya Sauruchi Yutum Jagaranda Kotim Yachakti Rasti Jagaranda Chayayarantaha Andantarasta Paramanu Chayantarastham Govindamadi Purusham Tamaham Vajami Yadhava Bhavita Diyomanu Jastataiva Samprapya Rupa Mahimashanayana Bhushaha Suktaya Meva Nigamaprati Taistuvanti Govindamadi Purusham Tamaham Vajami Ananda Chinmaya Satpratibhavitavis Tavirya Evani Jarupataya Kalavi Goloka Evanada Satka Kilatma Bhuto Govindamadi Purusham Tamaham Vajami So there's a few more to go. We'll finish with this last one. It's a beautiful one how ones whose eyes are anointed with the salve of praying with the salve of love, then they can have actual darshan or experience of connecting with Govinda. So not just seeing with these eyeballs, but with the eyes anointed with the salve of love. So that means we're seeing from the heart. Premanjana churita bhakti vilochanena Shantasadhaivaridayesho vilokayanti Yamshama sundaramachintya gunasvarupam 
You can invite mantra meditation. And it's not that you have to learn many, many mantras. Just this one maha mantra suffices. And you can add this to your yoga practice and see where it takes you uh, in your spiritual life. And you can add it to your spiritual repertoire. Very auspicious. It's described by one of our great teachers. Golokera Premadhana Harinam Sankirtan. So we'll continue with chanting. Goloka means a spiritual realm. From that spiritual realm, in a mood of charity, the holy name descends into this realm and it comes into our hearts. So please take this maha mantra. Please invite this maha mantra coming from the spiritual realm into your heart and let it out with all your devotion and enthusiasm. And may it bring may it bring all good fortune to this world which is much needed. Shri Prabhupada Ki Jana. Good praying on the